0: You're clocked out. We're You're locked, locked in. in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miquez and Mash here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: From postseason baseball to college football and kicking off the NBA season, we've got a lot to get to on today's edition of Crunch Time here on the game, it's 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt and me, guys here on this Wednesday, October the 19th, 2022. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh, sitting behind the, the, the sheet of plexiglass so I don't have to hear him. Just kidding. <laughs> Just messing with you. James, what's up, buddy? What's up? You can hear me, right? No, say say it a little louder. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got Okay, okay. I just want to make sure. So, the ALCS starts tonight. And that's going to be our, our big topic of conversation today. As the Astros prepare to take on the New York Yankees tonight at 637. And you can hear it right here on the game. The Astros and the Yankees have faced off quite a bit. In Especially in recent history. Especially in recent history. Uh this will be the fourth time in eight years that they have met in the postseason. And it'll be the third time in six years that it has been in the ALCS. Now, you know, obviously you look at the Yankees, twenty seven world championships, they know how to do this. They know how to handle the postseason. However, the squad that they have right now does not. The Yankees haven't won a World Series in 13 years. They haven't played in a World Series in 13 years. This is the sixth consecutive season that the Astros have been in the ALCS. Now, a little fact for you. No team in baseball has ever done that. No team in baseball has ever gone to six consecutive league championship series. Now you go back to 2017, the year the Astros won the World Series. That ALCS was one for the ages. I mean, you look at it and you, know, you look at the, the series with the Yankees. So this was a a 232 two format, which is what they're still running with in baseball.
2: Which I don't like. I don't like that format.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of it either. Um, but here so it went 7 games, right? The home team won every game. Yep. The Astros started out 2 and 0. They dropped three straight in New York. None of them really close except for game 4 was 6 to 4. But you lost 8-1, 6-4, and 5-0 in New York. And then you came home, back to Houston, down 3-2. You needed a win. You won 7-1. Forced a Game 7. And then you blanked him in Game 7, 4 nothing. You look at 2019. Everyone remembers how that one went down. Aroldis Chapman fed Jose Altuve a fastball right down the center of the plate. And he... Sent it across the over the railroad tracks and for a walk-off home run sent the Astros to the World Series and they ended up losing to the Washington Nationals in the World Series. The Yankees and Astros have a playoff history and they've especially like James mentioned earlier have it's kind of boiled to a head over the last couple of years. Ever since the Astros moved over into the American League. Tonight is going to be interesting. Because you look at it, the Astros have played three games in the last 13 days.
2: While the Yankees are fresh. They just just finished a game last night. Fresh
1: off a winner take all. Which is a good thing, and at the same time, it's a very bad thing. It's a good thing because you're not rusty. You're in game shape, your offense is clicking, you know, so on and so forth.
2: You almost kind of have to treat it like kind of like a, a midweek going into a weekend right. series. Like it's like, look, no days off, we're just heading straight to the weekend. It's kind of like how you you would have to treat it if you're the Yankees. The problem is that Jamison Tyone is pitching game
1: one. That is far from ideal for the Yankees. The Yankees had it their way. Garrett Cole would be pitching tonight. But Garrett Cole is not going to be available until probably Game 3. So Justin Verlander is going to go tonight for the Astros. And then, like I said, Jameson Tyone is going for the Yankees. Now, in in recent history, if if my memory serves me correct, uh, you can hit us up on the hotline, 337-706-0111. The Astros have had their way with Jameson Tyone. And I think the, the, you know, talking about the the rest and the the not rest for for the Yankees, I think that greatly benefits the Astros, especially from a pitching standpoint. Because, again, you're going right back to your regular rotation. Verlander's going to pitch game one. Fromber's going to pitch game two. McCullers is going to pitch game three. And then game four, you could go Christian Javier. You could go Luis Garcia. You could go Jose Urquidy. You could call it a bullpen game. Or if you really, really needed him to, Justin Verlander could probably be back for game four. I don't think the Astros are going to do that. I don't think they're going to need to do that. Uh, you know, I think that that game four could be a great setup for a guy like Christian Javier. Now, to that point, for the Yankees, it, it, it's a detriment, right? Because Jameson and is going to pitch tonight. You're probably going to go Luis Severino in game two. Cole for game three. And then you're probably looking back at, you know, Nestor Cortez for Game 4. Which, I mean, that doesn't really bode super well for the Astros because that's not a whole lot of strong arms. Now you are bringing in Frankie Montes, which I think could be a big help for the Yankees' bullpen. James, I'm going to bring you in here. You know, what is your expectation or or thought process behind the ALCS.
2: Yeah, I was looking at Tyone's uh, games whenever he's pitching against the Astros. The last two, not very good, especially the last one where he gave up 10 hits and gave up six runs with two of them being homers. The last one, it was meh, but then I have to go back all the way to 2016 to look at the the last one where he he pitched – on the 22nd of August and then he only gave up two runs in that, and that was an eight innings pitch. So it wasn't too bad. Oh, but overall the last couple of games that he has pitched over the last couple of years, it hasn't been all that great against Houston.
1: No, it, it certainly hasn't. Um, and you see, I, I thought I was, I thought I was right, but you know, you, you look at it, there's obviously bad blood between the Yankees and the Astros because Yankees fans Just, you know, they look at the Astros as as cheaters when the Yankees have been caught cheating as well. But, you know, regardless, I think they're just jealous. The point here, though, is that the Yankees and the Astros have met a lot in the postseason, and more times than not, it's gone the Astros' way. Will that continue with this series? I think that it will. I think that the Astros just have the Yankees' number. I mean, that's part of sports, right? You know, of, of recent years, Carolina has the Saints' number. I think the Astros just have what it takes, and they know how. Or the Vikings have it
2: for the Saints the in the Vikings playoffs. Vikings have it
1: in the playoffs, absolutely. Same thing. I think the Astros have their the Yankees' number in the playoffs. I just do. And, you know, people are talking about Jose Altuve going 0-16, for 16. In the division series against the Mariners, I agree that that's concerning. However, it's Jose Altuve. He's not going to go in that big of a slump for that long. He's going to bounce back here in the ALCS. Jordan is going to continue doing what Jordan has done. Alex Bregman continues to show up in the playoffs, and I believe that he will do so again. Kyle Tucker, you know, this is a prime opportunity for Kyle Tucker, you know, who's already a star. To become a superstar. Yuli Gurriel steps up in the playoffs. And another guy I, I can't say enough about is Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena has been fantastic in his first MLB postseason. Defensively, he's made some big plays. He hit that home run in Game 3. He's He had that key single in Game 1 to set up Jordan. He's made play after play in the postseason. And then the arms. The only arm for the Astros that didn't impress me in the ALDS was Verlander. Your Cy Young winner was the only guy that didn't impress me. Now, I'd, Verlander does have a track record of not being that great in the playoffs. So we'll see You know what he's able to do tonight against Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and Gleyber Torres and a couple other guys. But all in all... I still think that this is the Astros series to lose.
2: I agree as well. I think ultimately Houston is able to take down the Yankees and then get to the World Series, but I have it going a little longer than you anticipate. Yeah. I've I've got it I've got it
1: probably going six. I really think it goes five. I could see it going six, however. But again, you know, we talked about the the bullpen issues for the Yankees. I think that's going to catch up with them sooner rather than later.
2: And I think it goes six, potentially seven. Like I think this becomes a lot more of a close matchup than maybe you and I anticipate. If
1: the Yankees want to continue this series, they have to win at least one, if not both, in Houston.
2: 'Cause they have to run they have to try and finish the series out as fast as I can, Absolutely. which is why I think that New York gets off to an early start. I think they actually end up winning tonight because, like you had talked about, Astros haven't played in the last few days. They've only played three games in the last thirteen. Nope. You've played one series in the last two weeks. To me, that you gotta shake off the rust, and I think this game, even even though J V has a good matchup. I know that Tayon has not been the greatest the last couple of games. I think that this game is going to be pretty low scoring. I'm going to say overall, I'm going to take the under on seven. I think it's going to be less than seven total runs. You think it's going to be less than seven total? I could, I could see it a 4-2 game. All right. I disagree. I think it's going to be
1: a slugfest. Honestly, game one tonight, I could see it being a 7-5 game. I mean the firepower that you have in both lineups and Houston is a hitter's park. I I could see that easily going, you know, six four, seven five.
2: And I would love it. Because I like to see runs. I'm not I can appreciate good defense.
1: Yeah, you're an offense guy.
2: But I am an offensive guy through and through. I need to see points, runs, goals, whatever you call it. I want to see it up on the scoreboard. So seeing these 18-inning, 1-0 games, that that just, that utterly really pisses me off. Your
1: poll question of the day is related to the New Orleans Pelicans, which we'll get to a little later on in the show. Do the Pelicans start the 2022 season off with a win tonight over the Nets? Is it Pells get it done or the Nets offense just too good? It'll be interesting. You know, when Zion Williamson's back for the first time in over a year and, you know, Kevin Durant calls him one of one, that's high words for one of the greatest to ever do it. That's high praise. It's amazing. Um, Charles Barkley last night
2: said that he thinks the Pelicans are going to come out of the West and go to the NBA Finals. Uh, I wish people wouldn't say that. I was going to say, as we've gotten closer to the season, there has been more and more people – Picking the Pelicans to do certain level of expectation, yep. which worries me because we're seeing it with the Saints. We had high expectation. We thought they would go twelve and five, and right now, baby,
1: baby steps, please.
2: I was gonna say I don't. I, I think they get to the playoffs. They maybe win a series in the playoffs, depending on who they play and where they are.
1: But let's let's d- get to the Western Conference Finals before we start talking about NBA finals. Let's
2: get to the Before we even get to the play, let's just get to this game tonight before we expect too too much because even though this team is relatively young and pretty talented, we still need to see them gel together first.
1: It's a marathon, not
2: a sprint. Exactly, especially with 82 games.
1: Tune in tonight from 5.30 to 6.30 for the McNeese Coaches Show presented by Maplewood Burgers, line of bed out of Westlake and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Jim Gazzolo will be talking tonight with McNeese Athletic Director Heath Schroyer as the McNeese Coaches Show will be broadcasting from the Maplewood Burgers at 4453 Nelson Road. So tune in tonight at 5.30 for the McNeese Coaches Show right here on the game, 237 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Take a timeout, and when we return to crunch time, we will hear from LSU head football coach Brian Kelly ahead of this week's matchup with the Ole Miss Rebels, and then at 4.30, Brody Miller of the Athletic will join us for a different preview of the same contest with the Tigers and the Rebels right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. For the fourth time since 2015, the New York Yankees and Houston Astros will meet in the postseason. Game one of the ALCS is tonight, and you can listen to it live here on the game. First pitch is set for 637. Tune in tonight for Yankees and Astros on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's go to the hotline now. Martin, what's up, bud? Oh, not too much.
3: How you been doing, my buddy? Oh,
1: I can't complain, man. What you got?
3: Ah. Uh... So uh, I just kind of wanted to uh, touch on a few things. First of all, uh, not only did the Saints lose their, I mean, Andy Dalton, y'all gonna be starting your third string. But then I seen a couple of days ago the Cardinals go out and trade for Robbie Anderson. Now, do you think that makes them a better team? Because I mean, they got all these these high name uh, wide receivers, and they still can't seem to. Uh, uh, Kyler Murray still can't seem to connect, you know, with them or, or whatnot, you know. I think, think I, that makes them a bit.
1: I think talent-wise, it makes them better. Cohesiveness and chemistry, not at all.
3: Right, right. Now, if I do remember, I'm gonna switch gears. If I do remember right, remember towards the I think it was the middle of the season. I called in and I said that the Padres will be a force in the playoffs, and that's what they do. You did. That's why I I always say, when It doesn't matter. If you win a hundred games in a in a season, when you make the playoffs, every team is zero zero. It's every team for itself. It's the best of the best, and uh, that's why I'm not, I'm really really when I seen the Dodgers uh, lost you know that first series, I wasn't really surprised because I've seen that before with the Seattle Mariners when they won a hundred somewhat games and they lost in the first round of the playoffs, you yeah. know. Uh, but uh, Hopefully by the next uh next uh, by this time next week the Yankee season will be over. I really do think this is the end of the line for. uh,
1: So you so you cheering for the Astros?
3: Come come again.
1: So you cheering for the Astros?
3: Oh, definitely. Okay, that's my second favorite team. I mean, I'm a diehard Red Sox fan, but I do like the Astros. I got. Uh, You know, uh, because I mean, that's one of the Yankees. uh, Heated robbery. And by this time next week, I'm gonna answer all them Yankees fans' questions. Who's your daddy? D? The Astros are your daddy.
1: Thanks for taking my call, buddy. And you have a good one. Appreciate you, Martin. LSU met with the media. Uh, Brian Kelly met with the media earlier this week. Talked about, you know, a couple different things. Yesterday, we hit on a few of them. Talking about learning lessons after a loss. And then. Brian Kelly gave his thoughts on the Ole Miss Rebels. He also talked about his quarterback, Jaden Daniels, and a star wide receiver in Kayshaun Booty and their relationship.
4: We've been at this, you know, this had been the seventh game, and we have been confronted with those situations and haven't made them. But I don't think that there was any hesitation that we wouldn't go back to it because those, those two have been working hard in practice and trying to build that, you know, that relationship where, you know, we find you. And, and if you remember in that situation, he kind of found some green grass. And um, he was going to be the primary on that play. And um, Jaden got flushed out of the pocket. But he kept his eyes looking for him. And it was really the first time when those two found each other, if you will, in terms of you know getting the ball. And, and then that drive – Quite frankly, we had a lot of mistakes. Um, we made a lot of mistakes. That drive ended up in the end zone because of those two guys. They made big plays, and that's what sometimes you need is your big-time players have to step up. And I think that was the first time this year that our best players stepped up to that level and, and made plays.
1: Talking about the offense, especially with Jaden Daniels and Kayshaun Booty, LSU scored on their six, their first six – offensive possessions on Saturday.
2: We hadn't seen that since 2019.
1: No. No, it was you, a shocker. The the offense it, it you brought up 2019, that's a great point. It it kind of looked like that offense a little bit. You were taking shots down the field. You were running the ball well. You played with tempo. I mean, you hadn't seen that since Joe Burrow. And and I think that, that was huge for LSU. Am I saying that LSU has turned a corner offensively? No.
2: I, I don't want to. Yeah, don't I, We're wanna, not
1: going to go that far yet. However, I think that they took a massive step in the right direction. Oh, yeah. And I think they're starting to figure things out. Uh, absolutely. And uh, Brian Kelly dive, dove into the offensive performance.
4: Yeah, I think it's, it's got to be part of what we continue to grow towards. Um, you know, there's going to be times where guys just got to step up and make plays. And and we we had been kind of grinding it out, like you know, every, every we were we were trying to fight for every blade of grass. And sometimes you just got to make some plays. Um, and you know, the the big touchdown, you know, throw to Jerey Jenkins. You know, they jump offside. You know, that's part of our offense. Take a shot down the field you know, maybe early in the year we throw that out of bounds, you know. So just staying at it and being consistent with coaching it and then telling our guys that, look, sooner or later, we got to step up and make these plays, and and they did on Saturday. And now we've got to be consistent at it. You can't do it one week and then turn it off the next week and expect to win.
2: And it's funny that Coach had talked about that with the Dre Jenkins touchdown. This this was something that I had noticed and like, people – I feel like you kind of overlook it. It was the fact that – Florida on that Dre' Jennings touchdown, they they were running what to me looked like a cover one. It looked like a lot of there was one deep safety, there was one guy kind of underneath, kind of guarding the middle as a zone, but everyone else was man. Right, and it because with the one deep safety, it was more closer to Brian Thomas, I think was on the left side. So we look with the free play, it was amazing because you look him off to the left, you with your eyes, you look that way the whole time. It forces the safety to to go that way, and that way you trust Jarray on the right side to win his matchup going deep. You toss it up there. It's a free play. If it gets intercepted, oh well. But to me, that was huge because it shows that Jane Daniels, he's becoming more confident, and also the fact that he has stayed in the pocket and he's willing to take that hit instead of just looking for a lane to run, especially with it starting, that pocket was starting to collapse a little bit. And earlier in the season, Jaden would have just tried to find a way to get out of it and run himself with him staying in there and was like, look, I'm going to take this shot because it's a free play. There's no point in me running. I'm going to look for my guy. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to give him a chance.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. And, you know, that, that's the thing. You talked about the free play that they ended up scoring a touchdown on. I'll never understand. I, I forgot what game I was watching, but somebody had a, a – they they drew it, They drew him offside. And you and you threw like a dump pass. Well, it was like a little five yard out route. Mm-hmm. Why?
2: I've no, yeah. If it's a free if it's play, a free
1: chunk it to the end zone.
2: And and here's where I give credit to the Packers and give it to Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers he's really good at that drawing drawing the opposing team off size for a free play. They have a whole playbook just around free plays. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and them doing scramble drills when they had Jordy Nelson, Donald Driver. James Jones, DeMonte Adams. Like they had guys that they had a whole system of that. And Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, they they've always been really good of looking off the safety on one side. That way they can go to their guy on of the course. right side. So that to me, I saw a lot of that and I like the and signs also, that Jaden has shown.
4: And
1: then and then also you know the the free play thing, that, that part of it's gotta be on the receivers. Cause, like, for example, the, that game that I was watching where the guy runs a five-yard out route. When that receiver realizes, hey, it's a free play. You got turn sprint. turn that out route into a go route.
2: Exactly. Take
1: off down the sideline. Let your quarterback hit you. Cause here's the thing: it's a five-yard penalty. If you get more than five yards, it's a win. Just decline it. Just decline it. Take a shot. Now, I'm not saying you have to chunk it to the end zone every time, but run like a run like a crossing route over the middle, get 15 yards. Like just something more than a 5-yard checkdown.
2: Yeah, to me at that point, I would just do four verts. Right. Whatever whatever the formation is, especially if you're in shotgun and you got a three receiver set, have your three receivers run three verts because it's, whether they're running a cover 2 or a cover 4, one of them is going to be able to split those safeties and depending on which one it is, and even then they might get flustered yep. and be like, oh no. Especially with, you'll have extra time because generally what a defensive lineman does or an edge rusher, if they jump off sides, they immediately go back. So they lose all the momentum they had. They might as well just commit to the penalty and like make sure that there is no pass play. So you always have that extra time with that.
1: Yeah, no question. No doubt. The New Orleans Saints will be taking on the Arizona Cardinals this Thursday night. And the game will get you ready for the primetime matchup. Crunch time with Miguel Zamesh will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnson Street from 4 to 6. So come hang out with yours truly. Enjoy the ice cold beverages, tasty burgers as the Saints take on the Cardinals. Twin Peaks it's eats, drinks, scenic views. Take a time out. Brody Miller of The Athletic will join us next for a conversation about the LSU Fighting Tigers right here on The Game, 2037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for those Fighting Tigers of LSU.
0: A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
1: The LSU Tigers have a massive primetime midday matchup this Saturday against the Rebels of Ole Miss in Death Valley. Let's talk about it with Brody Miller of The Athletic. Brody, thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you? Doing well. How about yourself? Uh, Doing well, man. Thanks for asking. So, you know, let's backtrack a little bit before we look ahead. Let's talk about the game against Florida on Saturday. You know, dominant performance on offense. Defense did just enough to, to hang on for the win. You know, what are your overall thoughts from from the game Saturday night in Gainesville?
5: Yeah, I think the main thing that jumps out is just Jaden Daniels looking like, quite frankly, just an entirely different quarterback. You know, for through six games, this was a... Not bad, but very limited offense. And against real defenses, they were just playing, you know, left-handed most of the time. And that, and as good as the defenses played at times, they had, they just basically were forced to be put in the tough situations all the time. And and for all, for Jane Daniels to go out there and not just play well, but to go out there and simply just make confident throws into one-on-ones which sounds so overly simplistic but that's kind of all it really had to be you know it was a problem of he was you know if a guy wasn't completely open didn't have the confidence to throw it and all of a sudden saturday he if there was an inch of space he just put up a ball in a one-on-one and let lsu's really loaded receiver room kind of be the strength it's supposed to be so you know again no one expects jane daniels to throw 300 400 yards a game and Six, put up six touchdowns, all that every week. But if he can just be that version of himself that's that's just confident and, and looks closer to that, then LSU is suddenly a very different football team. Where suddenly it's not it's a I don't know a top fifteen, top twenty team if that's the offense they get. You just you need more you know him to go out this week and prove he can do that two weeks in a row.
1: you wrote an article earlier this week about Brian Kelly's fit at LSU, and you know that's been a topic of conversation ever since he arrived in Baton Rouge. My question here is really why, why is this even a conversation? You know, you go back to Nick Saban. Nick Saban didn't fit. What did he do? He won. Les Miles didn't fit. He won. Like, like, why is that even a conversation amongst the fan base in Baton Rouge?
5: Yeah, and, well, and the thing is. It probably isn't even that much the fan base in Baton Rouge. I think it's more of a national discussion. And I think there's probably a lot of different pieces in play there about why it's such a discussion. One, probably a little bit of it is, and and Charles Hannigriff points out well in the story, that would this even be such a thing if his predecessor wasn't the most fit ever, right? Ed Ogeron, most Cajun man on earth, you know, like maybe that's why people suddenly think LSU is like, you have to be like of the bayou to fit in here, when it's not really the case. And I think part of it is just the shock value, quite frankly, of Brian Kelly's move is unprecedented in sports history there really is no comp for what you know him leaving a job like Notre Dame winning a coach to go to another school so I think that's a big part of it too that people are just trying to make sense of this like it feels so weird and then I think the other element in this is a little bit of kind of people just don't really like Brian Kelly you know and everyone and I think you know that's not my opinion whatsoever but it's just kind of you know, people don't like him and they want to be – and they just think, hey, this is weird. Why would he do this? So I think there's a lot of elements of place there. But to your point, it is kind of silly because there's no other job in the country where you're thinking of that. There's no other job where you're like, man, how is he? this guy going to fit in in central Ohio, you know? So it's really just do you know how to run a program and then you create the culture yourself.
1: You know, look, looking at the, the year so far, big win at home against Mississippi State – you had to bounce back to get the big win over Auburn, and then this past Saturday night against Florida. In your opinion, was the win over Florida Brian Kelly's biggest at LSU?
5: Um, that's a good question because in a vacuum, I think Mississippi State's definitely the biggest win in terms of that's the best team they've beat. You know, I think that is a you know Mississippi State to me is genuinely a top twenty, top twenty five team that is kind of undervalued and and has played really well since then for the most part. I, I still think that's better, but I think when you really just add all the context and the situational stuff and it being on the road and it coming after the really ugly two weeks of Auburn and Tennessee, yeah, I think that's valid. I think that is maybe, maybe not the most impressive but the most important in a lot of ways, or maybe even the most impressive, you know, to to kind of go out there and be like, oh, shoot, they're 5-2. and two. They just put up, you know, 42 on Florida in the swamp. You know, I do think that that did carry a little extra weight of just kind of Pointing things in the right direction, I guess, if that makes sense. So I think there's some validity that it carried more weight, even though the Mississippi State might be a quote unquote better opponent.
1: So, you know, I'm not going to look at one game and say, oh, LSU's offense ha- has turned a corner and, you know, we're, we're going to see 45 points a game for the rest of the season because that's just, you know, a, not a valid way of looking at it. But in your opinion, has LSU's offense maybe started to figure it out?
5: I think so, and, you know, at least it's, I'm trying to figure out my words here, I think it's at least improving, like that is fair to say, and Kelly's kind of talked to us every single week about, you know, those buzzwords you always get sick of of process, and these guys are getting on a process, they're getting closer to knowing, and and it kind of, he had a little bit of validation post that Florida game, kind of saying, hey guys, this is what I was trying to say, like this is, it is a process, and Jane Daniels, you know, and it is worth pointing out, you know, Guys, year one in a transfer don't often, you know, quarterback pop off right away. Often it's like, look at Hendon Hooker, look at Joe Burrow. I mean, not comparing those things, but there is a lot of evidence that it is tough to go into a new school and just get it right right away. So, you know, seventh game to have him kind of have things click, and for Jane Daniels to be out there throwing like he did Saturday, it does make sense a little bit. So, I. I don't need them, you know, in terms of evaluating them. I don't think you need them to your point to go out there scoring forty two a game. But if you can now be a threat passing the ball, if you can now make teams you know, defend that pass more and open up the run game, all that stuff, if you can become an offense that isn't down fourteen three in the second quarter like every single week this is suddenly a very different football game. the a football team. So, yeah, I'd say they've probably turned a corner in terms of knowing what they're doing and figuring out their identity, even if they're probably never going to be some you know, dominant offense.
1: Brody Miller of The Athletic joining us here on Crunch Time. Let's talk about Will Campbell for a moment. I mean, true freshman immediately making an impact for this team. He missed the Tennessee game due to that episode that, that Brian Kelly, you know, a lot of people believe it was dehydration. Brian Kelly believes that it may have been something more than that. Regardless, you know he came back for the Florida game and just had a breakout performance. Was named the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. How crucial was it to have him back for that game?
5: Yeah, I mean, you, you just saw you know in that Tennessee game when you're playing without both Dellinger and Will Campbell, just kind of how. How weak this O line can be, right? I, I think the starting five is actually an, an average to above average O line, which is a big step forward. But when you start having to go that seventh, eighth guy, you just see like, oh man, the depth is just not there, and that is no longer an SEC line. So having him back, it was so evident. It was so evident to just kind of, you know, Jane Daniels had time there a lot, I mean, you could see that first big pass to Booty Booty in the first quarter. Where, you know, he was trambling around for a while in the pocket because he had time. And and I think Will Campbell, he isn't just an impressive story because he's a true freshman playing in the SEC. He is already one of the better tackles in the SEC. And Emory Jones is already an above average tackle in the SEC. And, you know, I think Kelly put it well, you know, Monday that it starts with the fact that they are both physically just ready to go. And that's the part that it's like, I don't care about how good they are, all that stuff. That's what's so jarring is these two 18-year-old, 19-year-olds are just flat out as good as any um, alignment on LSU's team in terms of the physical nature. And then to have that other thing of... They can, you know, they they can respond well from a bad play. They can, they can. Their technique's pretty good. Yeah, this is officially. These guys are just SEC starting tackles, and it's huge for LSU. It opens up the pass protection. Yeah, I think it, you saw the, the improvements in the run game too. So you can't. I think Will Campbell might be in a weird way LSU's most valuable offensive play.
1: Looking at the running back room, Josh Williams ran for over a hundred yards on, on Saturday, and and he did it, you know. Almost, I don't want to use the word effortlessly, but you could just tell the way he was running—just hard runs, physical at the point of attack. Now, Amani Goodwin's coming back. How does that change the running back room, if at all?
5: Hmm. Yeah, I think one. I think Brian Kelly, kind of his history, and also even this season has shown like. I doubt you see him Goodwin a just back to getting, you know, 15 touches, 20, but you know, there, there tends to be a bit more of an ease in with, with, with how they handle injured players. So I bet he's not, you know, number one. Plus when Goodwin was there, Emery wasn't really there. So I think you'll really genuinely see a by committee thing. And plus what, what, what's getting Williams those snaps is a different thing, right? Like, Goodwin's almost probably more competing with Emory, in a way, for the same job, while Williams is more about his pass protection, the fact that you can trust him every step to receive, to do all these things, that he's the most, again, trust, I guess, is the buzzword there with what, why you want him on the field, so... I think you really do see all three of those backs quite a bit. And and, you know, what Williams is doing is really impressive. You know, walk on comes in, basically just markets himself as the pass protection guy and has proven he's more than that. You know, that fifty yard run was a genuinely athletic run and, and you know, early in the season he's been the guy that short yardage situations. They trust him to move the chains. He had the game winning run against the Auburn on fourth down, you know, like he's a really underrated back that people sleep on because he didn't come with the upside and the prospects and all that, but They're in a really good situation, running back. If Goodwin's good to go, because he adds that Goodwin adds that explosiveness. Emery's probably the most you know quote unquote talented, making guys miss and all that. You have three different things who bring three different options, and that's huge.
1: Looking at Ole Miss, number seven team in the country, seven and zero this season. Looking at their schedule, though, they haven't really played you know really super competitive competition other than you know maybe Kentucky. What stands out to you about the Rebels, and where do you think LSU matches up well with them?
5: Yeah, I think this game is really going to be determined by can LSU stop Ole, or even just contain LSU's run game. You know, they, it is probably the toughest to stop run game in the country right now. What they're doing is, is pretty ridiculous, you know, and I think it's, almost has always really been about the run. It's just people think like Wayne Kiffin, they think pass, but it's that old Baylor scheme that's always been more about huge chunks in the run game than it is, you know, um, you know, the, the pass. And this year they don't have that great quarterback. Jackson Dart is probably average to below average i don't think jackson dart's really scaring you but what's been the old thing this season has been they haven't played a team that has made jackson dart beat them because no one's been able to really match up on the line of scrimmage and contain the run game now lsu's run defense has been pretty poor the last two weeks right you know 400 no, i mean 260 like, yards against uh tennessee florida went off on the ground against them But on the other hand, LSU probably has the bodies up front more than you know anyone Ole Miss has played. They got the Jaquelin Roy's, the Makai Wingos, Ojolari Gay that can probably win some matchups in the trenches. So it it is going to be fascinating. I think that will really determine it. But on the other side, I mean, Ole Miss's defense will get after you. They got flaws; they're not perfect, but they send pressure. They get after you. You could see they made life brutal for Will Levis back there. So. I think this is going to be a really challenging test for the O-line, and if LSU can't stop the run, this game's over from the jump.
1: Talked about LSU having to be able to stop the run. Give me two more keys to victory for the Tigers in this one.
5: Yeah, I think you start with almost what we spent so much time on, right? Is if Jane Daniels is the confident version of himself, yeah, this is a really good offense. All of a sudden, this is a team that can put up thirty-five on Ole Miss or whatever, you know, because once that happens, now you're getting your best players involved, which are your receivers, and you're and you're opening up the box for the run game. I mean, all it all the second Jane Daniels becomes that version of himself, everything opens up. So I'll I'll say that as well. And then yeah, I think probably pass protection, right? I, I think Ole Miss is going to send bodies. They are going to be able to create havoc and jane daniels has been hit or miss with how he handles you know like you know six man rush or whatever coming at him so i i think a lot of pressure is going to be on that O line to hold up
1: brody miller of the athletic joining us for a conversation about the lsu fighting tigers brody really appreciate your time man great insight and uh enjoy the game this weekend
5: thanks for having me take care
1: and there he goes brody miller of the athletic. We'll take a timeout. Wrap up hour number one on the other side, right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Welcome back as we got just a couple minutes left in this first hour of crunch time. Looking ahead to tonight's game for the Pelicans. They will be going to the Barclays Center for the season opener to take on the Brooklyn Nets. The game's going to be really interesting since a lot of expectations for the New Orleans Pelicans this year as well as Brooklyn, they just have a really good roster overall. We're finally going to see Ben Simmons again. James Harden, he's on the Sixers now, but they still have Kyrie Irving as another guard themselves. And then they got Kevin Durant. So a lot of good firepower offensively. It's going to be really interesting to see. Season tip-off is going to be tonight. And the best way you can bet on them is with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers will get $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just use promo code KLWB when you sign up. Plus, all customers get three months of NBA League Pass when they make a $5 bet on the NBA courtesy of FanDuel. Then you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to totals and so much more. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings instantly. So don't miss your chance to get $150 in free bets plus three months of NBA League Pass with promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the New Orleans Pelicans. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only for new customers. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days for already existing customers that already have an account. $5 NBA Wager required. Limit one pass per customer across both offers. Restrictions do apply. See Voidware prohibited. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com for both offers. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-700-STOP. NBA League Pass. Local blackout restrictions. Still apply for those as well. I wish I could watch it. All I'm going to say. And I, and even though I'm not technically a Pelicans fan, I still do support them. So I'm excited to see what they can do. Wish I could watch it. I wish I could too. Because I'm not paying twenty dollars a month for Bally Sports Plus. I don't blame you. But no, I'm
1: not paying twenty dollars a month. Again, love the Pelicans. I'm not paying twenty dollars a month on top of what I pay for cable just to watch the Pelicans.
2: No, and that's just what, not. That's what's annoying about about not being able to watch as many NBA games. I know there's a bunch more, but it's no. it's very hard nope. to get them because you got a lot of games playing at the same night, and TNT can only play so many games.
1: 30 minutes of crunch time coming after this top-of-the-hour sports update right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: You're clocked out. We're locked in you're listening to crunch time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game
1: 1037
0: Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station
1: hour number two of crunch time here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros Matt Miguez James mesh 502 here on your Wednesday. Got about 30 minutes left of today's show before we throw it over to Jim Gazzolo and the McNeese Coaches Show. But before we do that, it's a Wednesday during football season. James Mesh, what does that mean? It means it's Who at Wednesday. Brendan Erdl of Canal Street Chronicles joining us for Who at Wednesday. Brendan, what's up, bud?
6: What's going on, guys?
1: Okay, so question number one I have for you is uh, why why weren't you fast enough to snag that starter jacket this morning?
6: Well, um, let's see. Hmm. What time was that? Uh, I, I think around 8, uh, New Orleans time, and uh, I'm on the West Coast, so I think I was still sleeping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Early bird gets the worm, Brendan. Come on, man.
6: That is true, and I think you'll wear that thing better than I ever would. So.
1: Hmm.
6: All I need is some pictures. you got to post that you got to post that somewhere.
1: Picks or it didn't happen. I got you. I got you. So, you know, <laughs> let's go back to Sunday. What did you see from the Saints and their loss to the Bengals?
6: Um, you know, I, I saw some good things. I, I saw some bad things. Um, but the good things will be overshadowed because they couldn't finish in a four-minute drill. And I think a, a big part of this game that people aren't talking about um, is the fact that they had this game – uh, one, if they could ex- execute the four minute drill and they didn't do that. And that's the thing that teams actually practice more than you'd think is that, uh, is that four minute offense? Can we find a way to get three to four first 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 downs? Can we chew the clock and can we pin them, uh, deep if, if we can't chew up the clock? And I think they failed that pretty miserably and pretty much gave the, the Bengals, uh, free points on, on that possession they had in the horrible punt. So, uh, Terribly executed four-minute drill, but I thought throughout the game, um, the offense was was good enough for them to win. And it's starting to become a trend, um, and it's becoming something I don't want to continue to talk about, is uh, one week the defense plays great, and then the offense struggles. And then the next week the offense is great, and the defense struggles. And we just need to find some consistency. And I know a big part of that is injuries and who you don't have on the field, and we'll have this, again, uh, this weekend, probably our worst injury week of the entire season. Um, and it just can't be an excuse because you're in the National Football League and they're battling injuries. Uh, we just we have a little bit more of an injury problem than a lot of other teams right now. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I am kind of happy from what I've seen from the offense, but it, it, you can't gain much from it because – the offense that played last week isn't gonna play this week so um, lots of ups and downs
2: now I know there's 17 games in the season and we've only gotten through six so far but the Saints are two and four and even though the NFC isn't looking all that good the Saints look worse a lot of the time so how much hope do you have that they can make a turnaround
6: uh usually I, I wouldn't have any hope at this point of the season if you're two and four you um, third in your division not playing great football and you've lost the Carolina Panthers I'd say that your season's probably pretty much close to over but just in this rare season the NFC is we I and mean, we talked about it all all year leading up to the season that the NFC would be weaker but NFC is bad like from top to bottom there's only a few I think like three or four teams maybe a little bit more that are even above 500 which is just a pretty crazy thing and uh, the fact that the NFC East has, uh, what, three teams that um, are doing really well, and that being the Cowboys, Giants, and obviously the Eagles, which is which is a trend, uh, a new trend. And it seems that we have became the new NFC East this year, which um, isn't something you'd like to be. So um, I still think there is some hope if they can figure it out just for the simple fact that the division has been so bad. And I think at this moment, um, that being October 19th at 3 p.m. my time, uh, I think the Atlanta Falcons have played the best football in the division so far.
1: New Orleans will be without, you know, major starters once again: Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Marshawn Lattimore, you know, Andrews, Pete, Adam Troutman, as well. Keep you know, going. Yeah, you're not you're not kidding. Um, I, I mean, just, just talk about the, the guys that are missing and the guys that are going to have to step up.
6: It, it, it's it's a brutal sport, and you never expect uh, going into a year that you're going to have to be so deep at a position. Um, but I think this is one of the few things um, that the Saints have, have shown some positive light on is when a player does go down, they do have guys that come in and step up by. Uh, Calvin Throckhorn missed last game, and then Pete had that peck injury that he, uh, took him out of the game as well. But I think Lewis Kidd came in and played great for that spot, and that's your third guard at that, at, at that given position. So uh, they've had guys come in. I mean, Keith Kirkwood uh, we've talked a lot about, and he made a, a great grab on third down to extended a drive. Uh, Traequan Smith, I thought, stepped up a ton. Callaway has played decent decent football, and um, I think Traequan really gave Eli Apple a run from his money in this past game. Um, and it's it's just been a matter of who's going to step up and who's going to come in and step in and just play good football because that's what they got to do. And I think this week, um, obviously, we're down Marshawn Lattimore, so that gives a great opportunity for rookie corner Lante Taylor, and I think this is a game that you need a guy like that to come in and show out a little bit. And I, I don't think Roby and Adivo are bad players, but they're just in, in a major slump. So I think the only position on the football field right now on the defensive side um, that has pretty much played great football on every snap has been cornerback uh, number one, that being Lattimore. I think he's played the best out of anyone, and uh, that being, I guess Pete Warner as well. Uh, but every other job out there needs needs to be better. And I think Alante Taylor is a big energy guy, and you know I'd expect him to come in and play a good amount of the snaps, whether that be inside, outside um over the top wherever i think um he's going to be one of the many guys that have to come in and step up and i think elante taylor and calvin throck one of the two people i'm looking at most this week
2: what grade would you give not just dennis allen but the whole coaching staff so far
6: see it, it, it is very hard we've had this topic a ton on twitter is how has dennis allen done um how would you grade his performance? And I think when the Saints were healthy, it wasn't it wasn't great uh, early in that year, and it wasn't for very long. And I think teams that are new like that uh, take some time to figure it out. A lot of teams in the NFL still are trying to figure it out. I mean, the Bengals offensively weren't very good up until this week, which is frustrating. Um, so it, it is really hard to tell. I mean, you're, you're given Dennis Allen of a thing of paintbrushes, and you're you're breaking four of them and half and you're ruining some other ones and you're telling him to paint a beautiful picture. And it's really hard to do that when you don't have good tools and he doesn't have great tools right now. So it, I don't think, you know, he's on the hot seat to say, but it hasn't been great with the shuffling. And, you know, Sean Payton went through this last year, probably not. We won't get to that extreme uh, of a point where we're starting 63 players. I think, I think we're only at like 37 or 38, which would uh, be top pretty close to the top in the league. So um, I still think you give them time. Uh, the pedigree's still there. The culture still there, like we said, over and over and over again. We just need to see it on the field. And uh, if this team can get healthy at some point and they can start playing well, that's great. But if they get healthy and continue to look sloppy, I, I think um, uh, it's, not, it's not great for anyone's job. And I haven't give, given you a grade yet, but I guess I'll give it a, a C.
1: Chat with Brendan Ertel of Canal Street Chronicles. You know, looking at the Cardinals, they haven't been all that impressive at two and four as well. You know, if anything, will their season start how they the season has started? How they usually finish? Mm-hmm. So you know, yep. l- looking at Kyler, looking at you know they just lost Marquise Brown. You bring in guys like Robbie Anderson, DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins coming back from suspension. Excuse me. You know, just what are your thoughts on the Cardinals?
6: Uh, I mean, they're a tough team, and I think they're in the exact same position as us where they've underperformed. And I think in a lot of people's eyes, they've performed to the level that they thought. But obviously, in the building, they think they're better in team four, and they probably are. Uh, Kyler hasn't played great, the coaching hasn't been great. Uh, Cliff King's very fine that extension, and it just hasn't really panned out since his first year there. And, um, I would say that this is a must-win game for both of both of those teams, that being the Saints and Cardinals. And the way that Thursday night games have gone, um, I, I don't want to say it'll be on par with those games because those games have been really, really bad. But I don't think we're going to see a, a Bills-Chiefs game either. I think there's going to be two teams that are still still trying to figure it out, still trying to find an identity. Um, but the Cardinals are a team that scares me, man. It's There are good players on that team, they have good special teams, and they have a mobile quarterback, which is something that we struggle with. And we're going to have to figure it out pretty quickly here because we have the Cardinals, and then we have the Raiders, but then we have the MVP himself, Lamar Jackson, at home. So um, this will be a big test for their season if they could slow down a guy like Kyler. He hasn't had any real success this year running the football, and uh, I think a a good comparison would be how we played against Seattle, I thought we ran the ball really, really well and uh, passing the ball, still still doing some work there. But the Cardinals couldn't do anything last week against the Seahawks. They only scored nine points. So if they could take a page out of what Seattle did and try and emulate that on Thursday, I think that would be a huge part of it. And they should be able to do that. They have the personnel to do it. They just got to go out there and uh, try to shut them down. But I think this is a game where you hold the Cardinals under 20 points and they give a pretty good shot to win.
2: What prediction would you give for tomorrow night's game?
6: So I've gone all around on predictions, and now Dennis Allen's not going to tell us who the starting quarterback is because Jameis isn't on injury report anymore. So that's another whole another whole nother conversation. Is if Andy's out there, is it a benching? If 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 would you call it a benching if Jameis isn't out there? I don't know. Um, I, I I trust both to be able to do enough to win this game because they've been run, been able to run the ball so well. Um, I still think it's going to be a Camaro and Taysom game. I think that's where you've had your success is running the football. So I, I really do think that the game will be won on the other side of the ball with the Cardinals offense and the Saints defense. If the Saints defense can't slow them down, they're not going to win. Um, I, they don't have the firepower this week. They don't have um, a real great situation at quarterback and they're really thin at wide receiver. So, uh, if the St. defense can play well and play great defense, I think they'd come out of that game with a win. But um, it's not something I want to do to test Andy Dalton, again, trying to keep up with an offense that can score. And uh, Obviously, like you said, they get DeHop back and they get Robbie Anderson. So I think this is a game the Saints should and could win, but all the favors are going in the Cardinals' way right now.
2: I almost wonder, why not try – I know you want him to be – tight end but why not it's gonna be a short week you're gonna be shorthanded there's no I almost feel like there's no point in starting Taysom Hill at that point and if Andy's injured why not just roll with Taysom for the game and hopefully escape a win because it feels like whether you start either one of those three a quarterback it feels like you're gonna have about the same amount of chance of winning mm-hmm. so why not yeah I hate to play it safe but like we want to see James get as healthy as he can. If he can get those extra 10 days off after tomorrow's game and then come back and play the Raiders, feels like he would have a better chance.
6: Yeah, for sure. I, I think the the best chance you have to win this game is, is Andy and Taysom. I think they need to have a good mix of those two. Um, we saw last week the Bengals kind of sold out, shot Taysom, and Pete Carmichael said, bet, uh, we're going to throw it a little bit with Taysom. And he, he did throw it and had some success. It was little shaky at times and made you a little stressed out but you know going back to last year when he started at quarterback I mean it didn't look great then but comparing it to what we've seen right now I don't think it was it was as bad as we originally thought because uh hasn't got much better than uh Taysom uh in those few games and he, he did actually play pretty well for for you know a tight end playing quarterback but yeah, I think you'd have a, a fair share of Taysom cares. I think. Last week, we should have seen more from him, but I do understand that Jameis was more of an emergency quarterback if both those guys went down. So they were trying to be a little bit safe with him. I still don't agree with the limited touches. But this week, they have two, what, semi-healthy quarterbacks, that being Dalton and Winston. So I think you got to give Taysom a ton of looks in this game, whether it's throwing the football, uh, running it, or throwing it. Um, haven't seen much of Taysom receiving yet because um, that's been he's, he's been had to do everything else. So uh, I'd love to see a lot of Taysom a lot more than we saw last week.
3: You
1: know, Brendan, I know you're also a Pelicans fan. You know, a lot of hope, a lot of expectation for for the Pel's this season. You know, what are your what are your thoughts on the Pel's and can they get a win tonight over Brooklyn?
6: I mean, it's super exciting things uh, over there for the Pelicans and. Uh, you know, you always kind of root for those guys and hope hope they figure it out. And slowly, we've seen the transition from Anthony Davis to now. It's been pretty remarkable what we've been able to do. And uh, last night, we're sitting back as Pelicans fans, kind of laughing at the Lakers situation. And uh, it's it's nice to have a team that you can really trust. And a lot of a lot of people have high hopes for us. And Charles Barkley said last night on the TNT show um, that he could see the Pelicans coming out of the West. And that, that's a big nod for a team that. Uh, just, you know, barely made the playoffs last year and gave the Phoenix Suns run for their money, but this is a legit team. And I, I recommend Saints fans who haven't really dabbled into basketball too much to, to go check it out. Um, I, I promise officiating is better than a Saints game. And, uh, they got a team good enough to really, truly make a run at this thing. And, uh, Kevin Durant has said all week that one of the best players that no one's talking about is Brandon Ingram. So, um, a lot of good things for the Pelicans this year, and I expect, you know, I expect the top five seeds, and um, I, I think a lot of people around the organization believe they can be even better than that. So, um, really, really excited about this team, and I think it's something that New Orleans in general needs. And uh, I think, uh, I think we're ready to, to pack out the Smoothie King Center and really treat this as a basketball city because it is.
1: Brendan Erdel of Canal Street Chronicles joining us for That Wednesday. We appreciate you joining us each and every week, bud. We'll do it again on Wednesday. Yes, sir. If you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever, then text PANTHER to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda Forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November the 10th. Once again, text PANTHER to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever brought to you by The Game. Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. We'll take a timeout, wrap up today's show after this, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers, here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
1: Back here on Crunch Time, 1037 Lafayette, 104-1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. A couple minutes before we give way to Jim Gazzolo and the McNeese Coaches Show. Also, the Houston Astros will be on our airwaves at 6.30 tonight. James, prediction time. Who
2: wins tonight
1: and by what score?
2: For which game? The Astros. For the Astros, I think that since they're already on a roll and they've been playing this whole time and the last few days while the Astros have gotten a rest, I'm going to go with Yankees start off strong and get the win. Score? Mm, 4-2.
1: 4-2. Okay. I'm going to say the Astros. I think Justin Verlander comes out and pitches an absolute gem. The Astros win 5-1. That's my. I've I've had time to ponder it and think. That's my final score prediction: five to one. What about for
2: the Pel's game? Pel's win. You have a score. 1-12-99. Wow. So they Brooklyn just can't put it in the ocean. I don't think that Kevin Durant,
1: Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons can work on a floor together. I just don't. You can't have three ball-dominant
2: players on the floor. It doesn't work. I'll go... I'll go 122-117. Uh, Brooklyn. Wow. You have
1: the Pelicans losing.
2: Yeah, but I they show some good signs. All right. I think they... Cur- Brooklyn currently has all their stars right now, so they don't have the excuse of we don't have anybody. I mean, that's
1: fair. I'm interested to see how well they can play together.
2: Yeah, because we haven't seen Zion with everyone else because everyone else is trying to figure it out, but they didn't have Zion. Well, that, but that's now a, that that's you, a fair point, too. Now that you have your major piece,
1: that's does a fair it, point does too. it work? That That is a good point as well. Uh, so both teams are going to have to figure some things out. It'll be fun. Uh, they play tonight. We'll recap that tomorrow live from Twin Peaks on Johnston Street. So Come hang out with James and I from 4 to 6 before the Saints take on the Cardinals for Thursday night football. That's going to do it for today's edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. want to thank Brody Miller from The Athletic for joining us as well as Brendan Erdl joining us for Who Dat Wednesday. For James Mesh, I am Matt Miguez reminding you to be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. And once again, we will talk to you tomorrow live from Twin Peaks from 4 to 6 p.m. for crunch time before the Saints play the Cardinals in Phoenix for Monday night. I mean Thursday night football. McNeese Coach's show from Maplewood Burgers in Lake Charles is next. The Astros at 6.30 right after you are listening to the game. 1037 Laugh Yet 1041, Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.